got here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? And I'm Tom Alberts, and you're listening to Shoot the Breeze, and we're talking about our film, The Big Kitty, part of the Paris International Film Festival. This is Serena Ryan and Ethan Itzkow. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze. And we have High Score, a short film with the Paris International Film Festival. So my name is Owen Miller, and I have the honor of being here with Marcus and Dave. My film, Marcus, is now at the Paris International Film Festival, and we're on Shoot the Breeze uh, with uh, Marcus and Dave. Hi, everybody. My name is Dekel Berenson. I'm the writer-director of Anna. It's in the Paris International Film Festival, and you're listening to Shoot the Breeze. Catherine Cronin. I am the director of Cold Call at the Paris International Film Festival and you are listening to Shoot the Breeze. Welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I'm super excited that the Paris International Film Festival has already begun. Hi, I'm David Campbell, aka Producer Dave. I'm very excited it started, and I'm looking forward to seeing some of the films that we've been talking to some of the directors about. Absolutely. Last week we had on the show the director of the Paris International Film Festival, Jenna Suru, very good friend of ours. Uh, she came onto the show to talk to us about her international, her inaugural Paris International Film Festival, which is running from the 4th to the 14th of February 2021. We've already, we, we've pitched in our support for the festival by interviewing a ton of very talented filmmakers from across the world who have their projects in this festival. It's an online festival, an online virtual festival. So you can go to the Paris International Film website, uh, just type, type into Google Paris International Film Festival, and you'll find the website. Uh, go on there, check out how you can see some of these uh, amazing films. We're going to be championing uh, those uh, some of those filmmakers uh, for the next couple of weeks in our shows, uh, as well as some of the filmmakers that we haven't gotten to speak to. Uh, for example, uh, who also have their films in there, the, the wonderfully talented sisters, the Shakespeare sisters, uh, Hillary and Anne Elizabeth Shakespeare, who have their film Soundtrack to 16. Every time I get the opportunity to shout out that film, I, I will take it. They are also uh, having their film shown at the Paris International Film Festival. So go on the website, find out how you can watch those, uh, those films, uh, check out those filmmakers, 
follow them on Twitter, Instagram, etc., and say hi from the, the 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 three of us from Shoot the Breeze, uh, and just say, hey, we sent you across to go see them. And so in this in today's episode, we are going to be talking to some of those filmmakers. But before we jump into that, we just want to say, uh, first of all, thank you very much to Resonance FM for giving us the opportunity, for giving us at Shoot the Breeze, the opportunity to be able to have our voices being uh, shared to many people, giving us the opportunity to talk films. I know I really enjoy it, talking films and t- TV shows nonstop. Uh, and Fe- uh, Resonance FM needs your help. They need all our help. Uh, they are currently doing a fundraiser in order to raise funds for the, the station. It is an arts council uh, charity. It is not. Uh, it is not funded through any commercial sense. In that sense, uh, that's the word. It is basically funded through charity for uh, people giving money, helping out in various ways for Resonance FM. They are currently hosting a fundraiser, which you can go onto the website to find out more about it. The, the website is fundraiser.resonance.fm. Just go on there, pledge as little or as much as you can to support the great people at Resonance FM. That's fundraiser.resonance.fm. Go show your support. Tell them thank you. Say shoot the breeze sent you. Anyway, uh, let's go and jump into some talk about uh, movies. Let's do Spotlight. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm David Campbell. And uh, we have another entry into the Paris International Film Festival. We have the director and the star of the film. Uh, We'll get the the director to introduce himself first, and we'll get the star to introduce himself uh, straight afterwards. Please tell us your names and the name of the film, and please feel free to be as clear uh, with the title of the film that you're here to introduce, starting with the director. Hey, what's going on? My name is J.R. Poli. I am the producer, director, and writer of a film called Marcus, funny enough. Um, you know, it's a film that touches uh, a lot of people because of, it's about uh, mental health, which a lot of people, especially in today's world, uh, are suffering from. Excellent. Thank you, Jr. Uh, and don't worry, I'm going to be getting you to repeat the name of that uh, of the film that you, you're here to promote <laughs> as many times as possible for no other reason other than the fact that I just like hearing the name of the film. Let's get the star of the film to introduce himself, uh, the name of the film that he's in and the character that he plays. Hello, everyone. My name is Owen Miller. I uh, play uh, the lead character, Marcus, in the film, Marcus. And uh, that was indeed a grand honor. I, I, I 100% agree with you. Uh, so uh, we'll, do, we'll first, before we come back to you to talk about uh, your inspiration to play this, this amazing character on, on Celluloid, I want to jump back to uh, the writer-director of the film, Marcus. Um, so, uh, uh, JR, what inspired you to... Oh, first of all, um, of, of course, our listeners will know that it's most likely an autobiographical film about myself, Marcus Ako. Um, can you tell us more about this project and what angle you decided to take? Well, um, it is autobiographical on my end, uh, actually. Um, I first started with Marcus uh, in 2017, late 2017. I wrote a short. I wrote it in basically about an hour. Uh, I was in the shower. I, I personally deal with mental health, uh, depression specifically. And I was uh, dealing with a very, very dark time. And uh, I was very close to doing what I didn't want to do. 
Uh, and at two in the morning, my daughter woke up and called out for my wife. And that kind of snapped me out of what I was doing in the shower. Uh, I came out and wrote this thing, you know, in about an hour, showed it to my wife the next morning, showed it to Owen uh, the next morning. And they both loved it. And we went ahead and produced a short, which is about 10 minutes. Did really well in the festival world. And then I said, you know, let's exp expand it. So we expanded it into the feature. I do want to talk about, as you've mentioned, how well it's done in the, in the festival world. I want to jump to Owen. Owen, you play Marcus, the lead character. Tell us what, is you, what was your approach to playing this character who is, uh, is plagued by, by forces that are not visible to anyone else and obviously affects you know, the, the, the character stuff and affects a, a large number of people. But I'll, I'll let you talk about it. Please tell us what was your approach to playing that particular character? So um, when, when JR called me and uh, pitched Marcus to me, I, I immediately identified with the character because I, the fact is, I don't think JR was aware at the time that I too had my bout with um, depression some 23 years prior. So when he pitched it to me, it, 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 it immediately spoke to me. I was able to identify with so much of his journey and the, the fact that he got to the point where um, like JR himself, you know, he wanted to end it all. And all of that, interestingly enough, I'm reading, um, JR pitched this to me and I'm getting goosebumps. And so in, in approaching this character, how to play this character, it was not challenging at all. JR, of course, gave me the blueprint, but I had all the nuances to fill in the spaces, the gaps, the nuance, uh, the, the sinews and the bones and all of that, because it was a ma only a matter for me of revisiting my own personal journey yeah, that was how I approached the character. It was more of uh, uh, an internal sort of approach, looking at what I've been through and what I've endured. And you, and you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's it is a topic that we would we we want to expand a lot more, spend hours talking about. There's not enough time to be able to just get perspective, enough light shone on mental illness and especially uh, men handling depression, because that's mm -hmm. one aspect. You're bringing your own experiences, Jr. I want to ask you, um, when you were crafting the story, although you had your own perspective, did you reach out to? Uh, sort of others who might have experienced in this, in the same sort of uh, struggles that you went through that you, both yourself and Owen went through in order to be able to get a different perspective from it? Or did you focus mainly from one particular uh, direction? I, I didn't, I didn't reach out to people who were struggling with depression. What I did was reach out to friends. I have five friends in my cell phone who have committed suicide and I reached out to their families and I reached out to their, their girlfriends and their wives uh, the, the short film version was basically all me. The feature version was a compilation of me and these other five people uh, knowing what they went through, knowing their stories, knowing uh, the, the situations they were put in. That's how I developed the full feature version of the character. I didn't, I haven't heard any of the interviews before. The reason I asked that one question in particular was because one of the previous interviews that we had, someone was talking about Again, but they were talking more about the representation of chronic illness in film and how uh, in previous iterations of that sort of character in, on screen, it seems as if the writers and producers never spoke to anyone who had chronic illness. Great to hear that you reached out to the families because that's one aspect as well and that I always have with that is the effect that it would have on the people left behind which never seems to be uh, taken into account by the people who are taking that action, obviously because they have a lot on their mind at that particular point. What sort of was the response you got from the friends and families of the people who had 
taken that extra step? What response did you get that you that struck you as um, unexpected? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the film shows it really, I mean, really well, because it does dive into the friends and the family of, of Marcus. And, and one thing I've heard in the past uh, from people who have watched it is, you know, wow, I've, I've kind of communicate better with someone who's dealing with depression based on, on what I just saw, mostly because the information I got from these families was how they, what they would have done differently. You know, there was constant signals and, and, and signs of what this person was going through and they chose in the uh, male side, it's mostly, you know, you know, the term butch up fathers uh, in my family, for instance, tell their, you know, five-year-old son, you know, Hey, you got to butch up. Like uh, there's no time for that. And it's just the wrong approach. So really what I came off, I came from, you know, I came out with uh, from speaking to everybody was, was just that, like how they would have handled situations, what they would have said, you know, possibly would have listened more as opposed to just, you know, kind of nodding their head in a couple minutes, you know, moving on to another subject. So that's, that's, you know, a big part of the film itself. Yeah. J.R. Owen, was there any input from mental health professionals in the film at all? We played at numerous festivals uh, that were sponsored and backed by mental health uh, institutions, uh, one here in Florida specifically. And uh, they came up to me and said, hey, listen, you know, this should be a feature. We, if you made it, we would love to use it as, you know, kind of like a tool. You know, we can be showing the families and all that. We did have at our premiere a, a doctor, a psychiatrist, come to the uh, to the screening who has written on her page how raw and and real and natural the dialogue was here and, and the situations. So um, as far as getting information, I, I went basically all on feeling. I didn't. Uh, my brother, my brother's psychologist. Psychologist. I didn't talk to him at all because <laughs> I I didn't want to kind of uh, water down the realness of it by what psychiatrists are telling you. I wanted to put out there exactly what I'm feeling and exactly what others I know are going through this are feeling. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. We have the, uh, the writer-director from the film, Marcus, with us, uh, as well as the uh, lead character, uh, Owen Miller, who plays Marcus. And the film is currently at the Paris International Film Festival. Owen, I want to ask you this question. How long have you been working with uh, J.R. Polly, uh, and how did you get on board of this project? So actually, um, J.R. and I met at the inception of our careers. Um, he was in college, and I was um, trying to figure out if I wanted to become an actor. And I was testing the waters, and there's a whole story behind why he wanted to become an actor. Um, so we've been, um, and we, we very quickly developed a, a, a respect for each other's craft and, and a fondness for each other. And so we've worked quite a bit through the years. I came on board when Jer, of course, as he indicated before, called me and, and told me uh, of what he wanted to do. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to do this project for three reasons. When a friend calls, um, who is incredibly talented as a writer and, and as a director, it's easy to say yes. But then um, again, as I indicated before, there, there was the fact that I identified personally with this, with this um, story. And I think who best to play as an actor, um, uh, this character than someone who has actually been through it. Uh, as actors, we have to do research. We do interviews, we, we, we read, we, um, 
Um, we watch videos and we do everything that we need to do to get a sense of how to flesh out and make this character whole. So my second reason for jumping on board was the fact that I'm like, I'm an actor and I know what this feels like. I've been down this road. I know what this pain is like. But lastly, and certainly not least, was the fact that, again, having that intimate knowledge of what it's like to be on that path, I'm thinking of all the people out there who are still struggling with depression every single day, some form of mental illness, and they're doing so alone, silently. And you indicated about the, um, the, the, the male aspect of it. There's a lot to be said about that. Uh, like JR, as a kid growing up, my dad, and I'll say this, my dad was an amazing guy. But I remember if I was so affected by a situation that I was moved to tears or manifest in some other way that I was injured by that experience, my dad would look at me and he'd say, what kind of man are you? So immediately here I am as a child, and I know that I've just displeased my father. Now, I want to be like my dad. And I also want to be a man. And just that one comment tells me that I am on, I'm not on the right trajectory to be like my dad or to be a man. So immediately what I start to do is, when I have another experience that is comparable to that, I say nothing about it. I suppress it. And then it becomes compounded when I have a similar experience and another experience. And so what happens over time, nothing gets resolved. Nothing gets solved. And then one day the straw that breaks the camel's back comes along and you are now at this horrible precipice where you are trying to figure out what to do and how to survive this experience. And so this thing about me being a man and I need to man up, in other words, don't, don't be so soft. Don't be so weak. You have to be more stoic. That is a huge factor into why so much of our male population is dealing with this sort of stuff in silence and suffering, and, and unfortunately, many of them taking their lives. As we said, and uh, producer Dave mentioned it earlier, this is a, it's a very topical subject. Whatever type of uh, time we can give to the exploration of mental illness, especially to do with masculinity, um, you know, to be able to let people know that it is okay. As you, the, the, the example you just gave, Owen, where uh, showing any form of uh, emotion as a young boy or as a young man is sort of greeted with disgust, with resentment. Uh, any opportunity we have on this show to say that that's not a problem. Don't feel that you, you cannot show emotion. You can cry if you want to. doesn't make you weak. Stronger people cry because it's just a form of release. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll be happy to do so. And we'll be absolutely honored if we can have you back on the show to talk more about this film. Because this film so far has just been cleaning up at various festivals. Uh, JR, you mentioned the, uh, the track record it currently has. Um, just going through some of the, uh, the awards, it's already been picking up. You've already picked up Best Film in a number of, Best Feature Film Award, Audience Award in a number of different film festivals. Um, Owen Miller, you've picked up Lead Actor, Best Lead Actor in a number of different festivals. Um, so it, it's, it obviously has been, it's resonating with, with far more people that have seen this film. Uh, just before we wrap up, I want to ask, how can people get to know more about this film? How can they follow both yourself, JR and Owen, on social media or websites? How can they get to know more about your project? Yeah, um, we are on Facebook, 
you know, Twitter, Instagram, um, uh, Facebook, it's Marcus, the movie, uh, on Instagram and Twitter, it's Marcus underscore film. We do have the website, which is also Marcus, the Uh, we are starting to put some stuff up there, you know, some testimonials. Um, Owen himself speaks to, you know, his experience on, uh, on mental health. It's more of, it's not, it's not really a website to promote the film. It's a website to promote mental health. That's really what it is. Follow us along. We're at Paris uh, now. We're going to be uh, a couple of other spots along the way. And hopefully we can get this thing out to, you know, to your homes. I mean, where you can just literally click on on demand or something. Absolutely. We, we wish you the best, uh, all the best at the Paris International Film Festival. J.R. Pauly and Owen Miller, thank you very much for joining us on Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. We hope to hear from you again. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much, Marcus. Thank you, Dave. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm David Campbell. And we have another film that is included in the Paris International Film Festival. This is a comedy feature film. Uh, the, we have the filmmakers with us. Please tell us your names and the name of your film. Oh, hello, Marcus. Thank you. Uh, I'm Lisa Bambi. Hi, I'm Marcus and David. I'm Tom Alberts. And our, the name of our film is The Big Kitty. Excellent. Welcome, Lisa and uh, Tom. Thank you very much for joining us. Now, first of all, what is The Big Kitty? Oh, well, it's a comedy film noir. It's a, a feature film completely independently created by Lisa and myself and our friends, Melbourne artists. So it was made in Australia. Uh, we finished it a couple of years back and it's just been accepted into the Paris International Film Festival, which we're thrilled about. And then, uh, that, that's good. And we'll be looking at some of the promotional material for it. As you said, it's a, it's a noir comedy. I have a very soft spot for, <laughs> for noir films, especially. Tell us, what is this film about? It's set in 1949 in New World. A Russian princess comes to New World with cat and chauffeur. She goes to a nightclub with cat and chauffeur. There's a musical singing number and there's a blackout. And when the lights come back on, Cat is gone and Russian princess hires the services of private detective, Mr. Guy Boyman. Play, for, play by me. Um, and so Russian princess hires the services of detective private Guy Boyman for finding off her pushka, her cat. And it, it, you, can see, you can tell from some of the promotional material, it's a big, it's a romp. Of a, of a comedy, and uh, that's one of the reasons why I was interested to talk to yourselves. Tom, I'll throw this question to you. What inspired you to write this particular film? Well, Marcus, um, we're both visual artists, and um, it's a question that, um, as a visual artist, a, a painter, in, involved in making images of things and people, uh, the question arose, you know, if um, Rembrandt or Velazquez or... Uh, one of the great artists of previous times was alive now, would they be a filmmaker? Um, I'm still not quite sure, but <laughs> it is a question that as an artist you can ask yourself. So I decided to make a film and it began a long time ago and it led to this huge kind of, uh, pro you know, this huge project that lasted 11 years and involved everything and every bit of ourselves and all of our friends um, and, you know, quite a bit of money and time because I wanted to look at, you know, what is this thing making a film? And it ended up being a feature film and a comedy and, uh, you know, just about everything they say you're not supposed to do. Don't use your own money. Don't use your friends. Don't work with children or animals. 
Um, <laughs> we did it all. <laughs> Absolutely. And you, like, like, like regular auteurs, you pretty much, your names are dotted on the production crew list doing practically everything. Production was designed by Tom Alberts. You got makeup by uh, Lisa Bambi. Uh, costume. Now, the costume I want to jump onto in particular, because Tom, you designed the costume. Sort of, who did you look to as inspiration for the costume design? Um, all of the great golden era Hollywood movies, you know, Edith Head and um, uh, the, the, the beautiful designers and costumers of that era. And actually, quite often done on a budget. The 40s was a tough time for money. You know, there was a mm. world war on and people didn't have all that much money. Uh, and, you know, but they were clever and they had a great sense of style and design. And, you know, it also explains film noir. You know, it was a matter of budget. They couldn't afford to have lights everywhere. <laughs> so but there was a lot of dark. But um, I think, you know, it, it, it's that feeling of the golden era of Hollywood, that everything was looked after. You know, men had to look a certain way. Friends wanted to be in the film, but they had a beard. And we said, well, almost no one had a beard in the 40s. <laughs> you know, um, so there was a lot of uh, issues about what is the style of that time? How do you light a face in the 40s? I dived into it. I read books. I looked up things online. And I'd already learned to sew with my mum. And um, so, and Lisa, of course, can sew. And so, you know, making things and doing things and putting things together, uh, taking a suit off the rack and transforming it into the police commissioner's uniform. We can do that sort of thing. That's that's talent right there. Just being able to go in and dive and do and practically be any part of the crew. It, a lot of people tend to avoid it because obviously you need to have a speciality in one particular area. But it seems both of you seem to have those specialities to be able to make to make it work. Lisa, you're credited as the, as a co-director on the project. Is this your first feature film, at Lisa, that you've directed? Yes, absolutely. I am a director and um, I really love taking photographs and I like looking at things as if on a set and it's how I approach my painting as well. I've often made a little mise-en-scene um, like a theatre set. We had a monitor that we got in board or got on so we could show our friends who were acting in the film how the set would look and friends looked at the monitor and they went, oh my God, you really are making something here. And then they kind of had more faith in us and then were more acceptable of taking direction from both of us, which was very nice because when Tom was in a scene, I was filming and directing. And when I was in a scene, um, Tom was directing and filming. And when we were both in a scene, we, we just had the <laughs> camera set up and focused and our sound on a stand, our mic on a stand, and then went into position. And one of us pressed the start button and then we acted the scene. Yeah, Marcus, we actually had no crew. That Zero crew. No, we <laughs> had couple, no, we had a couple of guest cinematographers. Well, um, yeah, on occasion. For yeah. the nightclub scene and for when Tom is running down the back alleyway, I was... Um, we had from, uh, Fabrice Bigot for the nightclub scene and we had Anthony, Anthony Yark, who was filming while I was driving the car as Tom was running down the back alley scene. That was That's a fantastic feat to handle that without a crowd. 
We've got the uh, directors and stars of The Big Kitty, Lisa Bambi and Tom Alberts. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm David Campbell. And I just want to quickly ask, um, you said this started many, many years ago. How long did it actually take to actually shoot the film? 12 years. I thought it was 11. Well, one year we didn't do anything. Yeah, I think it was 11 years with one year that we didn't do anything and we went, oh my, you know, we've got to do something about this. It was like this. January the 3rd and I said, Tom, we didn't <laughs> film one scene of the big kitty last year and it was becoming terrible because every opening we went to as artists, our friends were in the film and say, when are we going to see this film? Yeah. And so everyone that it, we knew was in it and they were saying, when are you going to finish it? So it became quite a, quite a, a, a thing, you know. A, we were determined to finish it. We were determined to finish it. A real labour of love. But yeah, that is incredible. It's a good uh, question, David, because literally Lisa will go to a door and walk through it and five years later walk into the room. The film takes place over, I think, four days and four nights. And in we had, reality. <laughs> in reality, it took 11 years. But, um, uh, but so we had, we had like costume map, you know, we had to keep, keep clothes, you know, we had to make sure that they we sure. them in our wardrobe. And we kept everything. We moved house time. and, you know, the, the, the logistics of it were completely crazy. But you have some Hollywood movies where they call the actor to come in and do some reshoots and it's only weeks or months apart and you can tell the clear difference of Hugh Jackman, for example, in, um, <laughs> in, in the one with the, with the robots fighting. I can't remember the name of that one. And you can see one scene to the next and he's already bulked up for Wolverine. So it's oh, clearly, yeah. you can clearly see the difference as to when he, when he came back in to do the reshoots. You, on the other hand, had years apart to do scenes. That is, yeah. it is absolutely incredible. And now you've got your first showing, you've got your showing at uh, the Paris International Film Festival. How did you get involved with that project? Um, well, um, Lisa has been handling the process of uh, submitting our film to contests and things. You, yeah, you basic, basically through Film Freeway because that's the biggest format. But I was, um, we were just in another festival, the San Francisco, another hole in the head festival. That was really well received. And so that was San Francisco and we couldn't be there. But we are here in Paris, living here at the moment. And uh, I was very keen to find a good festival for us um, <laughs> to enter in Paris because Paris is my spiritual home and I lived here a long time ago for five years, studied drama at Cours Florent where Jenna Suru, who's the director of the Internet Paris International Film Festival, also studied coincidentally. And I also worked as an usherette at Art House Cinemas in Paris and have a super fondness. Um, it was my favourite job in the world and all I did was put my hand out and hope somebody would put a gold coin in my hand as well. I showed them to a seat with a torch. You know, it was um, <laughs> it, hand-to-mouth existence as a drama it, student. It almost doesn't exist anymore. No, like, uh, no, but I'm still friends old... with the cinema people from Paris and the art house cinemas, so I could think of nothing better than getting our film into a fabulous Paris film festival. And we do have a bit that is filmed in Paris. Uh, Fantastic, there you go. <laughs> the Frenchman. We have uh, a lovely artist friend, Jean de Lardemel, who is very keen to be a part of it. 
and said, Lisa, you know, you always said I could be in your film. And I said, well, I'll talk to my fellow director and we'll see what we can do. And we were just visiting Paris. So Tom wrote a little scene. We had a camera, not the one we'd filmed the whole film with, but we improvised and we bought hats and suits and we got the scene done. Fascinating story of how to get how you got the Big Kitty now fully made. Um, we wish you all the best at the Paris International Film Festival. Uh, Tom and Lisa, thank you very much for joining us on Shoot the Breeze. Uh, and we'll definitely want to get you to come back on to tell us how it's, uh, you know, how successful it's been and uh, how you've, you've now followed you, you've, when the COVID lockdown has been lifted and you move around the world to explore with uh, the Big Kitty. We'd love to have you back in the studio. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm David Campbell. And we're here with uh, more filmmakers who have been admitted into the Paris International Film Festival. Please tell us your names and the project that you have at the festival. Hi, I'm Serena Ryan. And I'm Ethan Itzkow. And we wrote, directed, and produced High Score, which is a short film, like you said, with the Paris International Film Festival. And Ethan also stars in it. Excellent. Uh, so tell us, uh, it's maybe uh, Serena, maybe you want to start first and we can go to Ethan. Serena, what is High Score all about? Yeah, so High Score is a 15-minute short film that follows a burgeoning white supremacist as he sinks deeper and deeper into the darkest spheres of the internet and becomes radicalized to an extremist conspiracy theory called The Great Replacement. Immediately, the first question I want to ask is, what inspired you? Is it based on true events? Uh, sort of what sort of research do you go into? So let's take it one step at a time. What yeah. inspired you to write this project? So, um, unfortunately, real life events, mostly in the United States, but also around the globe, inspired us to write this project. When we were showing our first film, Cashed, at the Holly Shorts Film Festival uh, monthly edition in April of 2019, we were just a few minutes away from the Poway Synagogue shooting, which was six months to the day after the Pittsburgh Tree of Life massacre. We decided we wanted to make a film about hate and to understand why these terrorist attacks, whether it's Charleston, El Paso, Poway, Pittsburgh, why Christ they- Christchurch. Christchurch, yes, in New Zealand why do those attacks keep happening? And we did find a conspiracy theory that almost every single shooter of these attacks believes in called The Great Replacement. And so we wanted to make a film through a narrative that would educate the public about this conspiracy theory and pose a question to the audience about what we're gonna do about this spate of mass shooters and this radicalization to a white supremacist conspiracy theory. And so for your listeners who are probably not aware of what the Great Replacement conspiracy theory is, as I was not before we started doing this research, um, essentially it is the American incarnation of a historic conspiracy theory that uh, posits that Jewish people are actively and purposefully bringing minority communities into the United States specifically with the intent of replacing the white male population with, with <laughs> various other communities, which of course we all know is um, absolute nonsense, but that is essentially the driving force behind many of these shooter, these um, attacks that Ethan just described. And not only is this conspiracy theory present in the United States, uh, the Great Replacement, um, some French listeners are aware that this term, the Great Replacement, is actually from a French white nationalist. 
Um, and not only does the conspiracy theory happen in Europe with a focus more slow, more so on Muslims than on Latin ex Americans, uh, as it is in the United States, but it's also prevalent in many uh, white majority countries around the world. They believe, or at least there's a subset, a subculture of extremists that believe in this conspiracy theory. You're and, right. I mean, from, from your perspective, you've, you've essentially you've put a name to what I guess a lot of people actually have encountered. While I guess predominantly it is a white person, you'd be expecting to say stuff like that. It's a phenomenon that a lot of people of color have experienced where uh, they would see someone who feels oppressed and the excuse that is being uh, made is that they are they hear you know as the the chant in Charlottesville was you will not replace us essentially kind of ties into that where it's the idea that when people migrate from one place to the next they interact and they uh, they reproduce with other people in that uh, in that location and produce children who essentially are no longer from in, in a sense no longer tied to the race or the common race in that particular location and hence the idea of being replaced as a mixed race person myself i've encountered that constantly that particular argument it's just i tend to talk a lot quicker and a lot more intelligently to displace that argument in, in myself uh, particularly but it, it's it, it's it's good to hear from to, to see this particular project trying to put out there put a name to to something because the fact that you've come up with you know i say come up you you've encountered this particular theory the replacement theory you've given it a name it's sort of you name your 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 monster and that makes it easier to conquer now how how did you dive in specifically? What did you dive in specifically to get that that um, that theory to follow the theory through to understand exactly where it came from, what it does, and how it affects the people that are indoctrinated into that belief system? So this is a big question. Um, so this idea of the great replacement, this particular phraseology that we're using does come from uh, a French writer and it is from the 20th, 21st century. But these, I, this idea that white societies will be disrupted by non-white populations is several hundred years old. It goes back to European race sciences in the 17 and 1800s where um, <laughs> these people who like to think of the, themselves as scientists wanted to classify the human species into different races and put white people at the top. <laughs> and ever since then, um, this false science that has been just fastened to for several hundred years, ever since then, it's this idea that white people run these societies and other people are trying to disrupt them. Where our research gets more specific is that in post-World War II Nazi propaganda, this idea starts to take a more concrete shape as immigration laws, especially here in the United States, but also in, in Europe and where other places where this conspiracy theory are happening, as those immigration laws start to become a little more equitable and allow people from other parts of the country to move to these, or other parts of the world to move to these countries, this conspiracy theory starts to solidify around a migration crisis or, you know, in the 50s and 60s before, at least in the United States, we had laxed our uh, immigration rules, or should I, actually more accurately say, allow more people to come into the country because our immigration rules were always historically racist. Uh, when we started getting more immigrant populations in the United States is when this conspiracy theory started to take a more solid shape in that framework of an anti-immigrant xenophobic 
context. And what we're seeing now and what Ethan and I discovered in our, in our intensive research before writing the film is that often this, these ideas are now being spread on the internet, right? Especially now during the pandemic when like people are not really meeting face to face. Although I would, uh, I would venture to guess that probably many people who, uh, you know, ascribe to conspiracy theories like these are not as concerned about the pandemic, but either way. But what we learned is that the, the internet and social media in particular is becoming the breeding ground for these ideas and, and, and um, a recruitment ground for minds that are, you know, I'll use the word vulnerable to brainwashing, perhaps individuals who do not have a solid community around them, you know, maybe whose family members are, are not in the picture, whatever, whatever circumstances have made certain individuals vulnerable to this type of brainwashing, they're being found on the internet and, and, and there's a lot of imagery, not just uh, within the internet, but in popular media that supports this conspiracy theory. We have several politicians and local and federal government here in the United States that push this conspiracy theory through a series of dog whistles. Um, Invaders, you, you'll yeah. often hear legislators use the word invasion. To describe um, legal asylum seekers coming to the United States, generally fleeing problems that the United States has caused. Um, if we want to get really specific about it, that the Central American migrant quote-unquote crisis was because the United States destabilized Central America. So these people who are coming to the United States to flee the problems that we caused, uh, we have Representative Louis Gomer from, from Texas calling them invaders. We have Representative Higgins saying that we have D-Day every month on our southern border. We have Representative Matt Gates who pushes the Soros caravan conspiracy theory, which is just a dog whistle form of great replacement theory. So it's pretty ubiquitous. We're talking about the politics of fear in, mm. uh, in, in the United States. One of the things I've um, noticed over the years, and you just brought it right back to the fore, is the theory in your, um, your film has been popping up in lots of films over the years. Um, the one that really jumped into my mind was um, the Blues Brothers. Now, it, that's comedy. But there was that one scene where the, the Nazi people are wandering through and the guy says, what is it? Um, I hate Illinois Nazis. Well, he, he turns around and says, that the Jew are using the black as muscle to replace. And that just really just like hit me really, really hard just then. I mean, what, what else did you do to research the subject? Because it couldn't have been easy digging all that out, especially with, with the eugenics aspects of it as well. Yeah. yeah, it's a great question, David. So a big part of our research was, of course, um, creating false accounts to go into these radicalized spaces, such as 4chan and Vote, and some of the more unsavory subreddits. Gab. Gab. Um, we did not investigate Parlor because that was just new when we were finishing up the film, but it's a similar online space. So not only did we investigate these online spaces, but we read novels that were popular amongst neo-Nazis in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Um, and it contained all the things that we're talking about, just in different terminology. There's one novel in particular that I, I, yeah, I won't, I won't mention the name so as not to continue to proliferate its ideas and you know make it readily available to people. But there's one novel in particular written by a very prominent, um, yeah, physicist, and a major pinnacle of the story, if you will, 
is that the white population who consider themselves to be radicals, you know, revolutionizing America and turning it into a white ethno state, essentially, utilize, like you said, David, the muscle of the um, the black characters in the in the in the novel specifically as a tool, right? So it continues to speak to this idea that the people of color in these communities are being used as tools to to um, displace white people yes. at the behest of Jews. Yes, That's exactly. But of course, it's the, it's, it's the, it goes part and parcel to dehumanizing uh, a particular race, because obviously if you don't see, and it's sort of, I guess you see that hierarchy of, of threat to the white supremacist where it's first Jewish people who are, I guess, not considered fully white in that mm. regards, in that perspective. And then uh, essentially they see the, uh, the, Jews, the, the, the Jewish person as being far more of a threat because that the Jewish person is at least intelligent enough to utilize the, the darker skinned people as who are not humans, they're subhumans as tools. So it's an, an extra level of dehumanization. If you see someone as a tool, you don't see them as your equal, whereas against the Jewish people, they see them as close to being equals, in, at least intellectually, for that to go down. So, I mean, I, I, would, I would love to, you've touched upon your film, um, High Score, has touched upon a, has hit a nerve with us really, because it is a topic that uh, David and I, when we have uh, guests to come on the show, if this conversation ever comes up, we love to explore it. I wish I had more time to be able to sit down and chat with you. We want to be able to get you guys back on the show oh, so yeah. we can spend our full hour talking about this. Um, but right now we want to talk about the fact that you've got uh, your your film high score in the Paris International Film Festival. Mm. Let's just ask, uh, I, want, I want to find out, Serena, from you, let's start with you. Um, how did you get to know about Paris International Film Festival to get this project in there? Yeah, so we actually got in contact first with um, a journalist named John Higgins from Film and TV Now, who was one of our, like in one of our um, promotional sort of emails, right? Um, and John picked up our story and we did a, an interview with him as well. And, and he's absolutely lovely. And he recommended us to Jenna at the Paris International Film Festival and sort of facilitated our um, communication there. And we were just very, very pleased and, and thrilled when Jenna said she wanted to include the film in the festival. Um, so it was sort of an organic kind of meeting in that way, you know, via, mostly via email. Um, but yeah, John and, John and Jenna have just been absolutely lovely and very, very supportive of the film. And the film festival looks like it has a fantastic slate of programming. So we're very excited to see uh, the other films. Especially because we can't travel to Paris, which yeah, I'm so sad about. <laughs> I know. It, this is the, the, the fact that Jenna, uh, Jenna has basically put this uh, virtual to make it easier for all of us to connect. Mm -hmm. um, it's one of the reasons why we at Shoot the Breeze are happy to work hand in hand with the Paris International Film Festival because as you said, if it was not for the lockdown, everybody would be in Paris trying yeah. to get their projects in. Uh, and the fact that we're all virtual means a lot more projects can get seen. Mm -hmm. I get to hear about high score um, with other people who have come on, uh, have talked about their own projects and we can all share, we can all meet and form this great film community, which we definitely are definitely going to have you guys back on our show talk about high score i just want to wrap up one question um because high score if if i'm if i understand it correctly is it a short film or a feature film a feature film it's a short film short. it's 15 minutes and change okay are you planning on expanding it into a feature film 
It's a very heavy subject to spend so much time with. <laughs> I will say, you know, it's been it's been over a year now, close to two, that we've been spending time with this reality, yeah, let's this, say, this, this ever-present reality that seems to be expanding every day in the United States. Um, we would love to make a feature of a particular storyline that we're interested in expanding, especially there's a, a Latinx character in the film called Paulina, who's dealing with the migration crisis in a personal way. And we would love uh, the platform of a feature to expand her storyline, especially. Um, but <laughs> as far as the short, that, you know, that's sort of in flux right now. We're, we're developing a series as well, a comedy series, which is um, taking up a good amount of our attention right now. But that's always a possibility, right? We, this is a high score tells a story that's very complex and you really can't explore all of the nuance that goes into it in 16 minutes. So we would certainly not say no to a feature length. But as far as the short goes, we're hoping to distribute it educationally for some educational impact really we think the world could use a few more laughs <laughs>, <laughs> serena ran uh, ran ethan itzkow thank you very much for joining us on shoot the breeze to talk about high score we definitely are going to get you to come back on at some point so we can talk more about the, the comedy as well that you're that. doing of course <laughs> thank you so that. much for having us you're listening to shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 fm i'm marcus e Ako. I'm David Campbell, a.k.a. producer Dave. And we have with us another filmmaker who has uh, their film in the Paris International Film Festival. Please tell us your name and the name of the film. Uh, I'm Dekel Berenson, and I'm the writer-director of Anna. Excellent. Welcome, Dekel. Thank you very much for joining us today. Tell us what Anna is about. Um, Anna is a short film. It's 15 minutes long about... Uh, single mother who is middle-aged who live with her daughter in East Ukraine and she's uh, very hard-working and sort of from a lower socioeconomic situation and then one day she hears a radio advertisement inviting uh, women from Ukraine to meet men who come to Ukraine to look for a, a match, a wife basically, and she thinks why not? I'll just go to the party. So she goes to the party and then some things happen there. I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't seen it. What inspired you uh, to tell this story? So many years ago, I was traveling in Ukraine and I just got to hear about these parties because they're quite famous in Ukraine. Almost every woman has either been invited to the party or been in such party because they, they go on... they. They happened since the 90s, and uh, this idea that Ukrainian women are very beautiful and they're still very traditional, quote-unquote, so they will still clean your house and cook for you food and won't complain too much. So the idea is that foreign men from Western countries, uh, you know, would get a good deal if they go to Ukraine and, and bring somebody over like they were... Um, you know, a piece of uh, something, furniture or something like that. So no, that, make, that makes perfect sense. My wife's not going to let me to go to Ukraine after listening to this episode, which is fine. Um, but uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's weird. I've never heard about these kind of parties, but again, I've never been to Ukraine. So it's good that you're sharing this in, in this format with this particular film. 
so what were the main challenges that you found actually creating or shooting this film, especially because uh, you shot this film, it says on IMDb, you shot this in 2019. So I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you managed to beat the whole um, uh, coronavirus COVID lockdown. What other type of challenges did you face actually making this film? Um, well, first of all, I don't speak Russian or Ukrainian. Um, so there was obviously the language barrier, but I'm sort of used to that because my previous film I shot in Nepal. So I was quite used to work not in my language. And other than that, first of all, I was alone in Ukraine. So everybody else was local, all the, everybody else was local essentially. Um, and I was there alone, living there alone by myself, not speaking the language, freezing in min minus 20 degrees. So that was also a, a challenge. But the biggest challenge, I think, in every film is to convince the people you work with that in what you're doing and that they should trust you, which was definitely not the case the whole time. And they had to sort of fight for a lot of things and just try to explain it and then, you know, ask them to just trust me and, and not put too many obstacles on, on what I was asking. And so, for example, uh, Anna, she's middle-aged and she's not very attractive, let's say, okay? And that was the whole idea, not the whole idea, but part of the idea behind the film is that somebody who is also middle-aged and, and not particularly attractive should also have an opportunity to sort of meet somebody, right? But then the casting director... She didn't understand why I'm not looking for a young, attractive woman. So she kept sending me to auditions, to the auditions all the time, young, attractive women. And I was like, no, I, we spoke about it. It's not what I'm asking for. So it was like going back and forth all the time, um, you know, set designer or wardrobe or makeup, even makeup. So, you know, you, you come... You come on set and you're shooting in 20 minutes and then you go to see the makeup and they just like, they, they made Anna look like just like something out of a horror movie. She had so much makeup on and I'm looking and saying, what is this? No, take it all off. And she was working for an hour on this makeup. And, and, and she was like, what? No, no, this is how she should be. And I'm like, no, take down all the makeup. I don't want to see any makeup. You know, it's like... It's, she's poor, she's, she's older, no, no makeup. It's, it's supposed to be this naturalistic, authentic documentary style filmmaking. So, so she, she told me, okay, I will take the makeup down, but you, you will see that you are wrong. You know, I was like, okay, fine. So like this, you always have to fight with people and you know, everybody thinks you're a crazy idiot and you just have to keep your direction and everything will be fine. You definitely proved her wrong because your film has been doing gangbusters at various uh, film festivals. Uh, it won uh, the best British short at the British International Film Festival in, uh, in 2019. It was nominated in Cannes Film Festival for Palme d'Or Best uh, Short Film. So it's doing fantastically well so far. So you can show that to your makeup artist and say, look, this is, this is what I was talking about. So it's good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not a very, I'm not a very vengeful person, but... It's not vengeance to show that you're right. It's fine. Yeah, she you're, probably knows. She probably figured it out already. So. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm David Campbell. And uh, you said you had challenges because you couldn't speak the language and what have you. How did you go about fostering 
a team spirit with your your crew and the actors there uh, given the language difficulties and the the conflict you may have had getting your ideas across so with the actors they just I, I did a lot of rehearsals with them um, just to get you know to get the performances right as I wanted them so we got to be very close with each other but um, other crew member it's more difficult because you sort of like you don't you, you meet them just like one or two days before shooting you know so on a short film you don't really have the opportunity to sort of create a team spirit necessarily with all the many people who are involved but to get involved very early uh, sorry very late but but when you start working on the film if it's just one two days before shooting there's definitely a a sense of um you know we're all here on board on the same sort of ship trying to go to some place and let's try to have fun and do the best that we can i definitely had a lot of help with my from my uh, director of photography so we worked together for many many for like a couple of months before we shot the film and we became very good friends and uh, he's ukrainian he's local and he was very supportive of me and my ideas and you know if anybody came and said and i started argue with me so he would say you know like he's the director it's his film you know we should listen to what he wants to do and so he was very instrumental you know for for the film and me being able to do what what i wanted to do that's fantastic to get that kind of support on your on set because obviously all it takes is a tiny little bit of dissent and that goes through the rest of the crew and all of a sudden it becomes you against the crew when you want to try and get your all you're trying to do is just get your film made uh if for people who want to watch this film or get to know more about the film how can they follow you and the film on social media so they can Google Anna short film and they will find our our website very easily or just my name Dekel Bernson and um, but they can definitely watch the film now in the festival so I think tickets are very cheap that's fantastic and uh, what what projects are you working on after Anna and um, I'm currently working on a feature film and um, that I'm in the process of re- rewriting already the fifth draft of it and um I was really lucky to already find international producers to go on board and um we've been accepted to a couple of screenwriting labs that we're part of. Dekel, thank you very much for joining us on Shoot the Breeze. Uh, we wish you all the best in the Paris International Film Festival and in uh, your your future film. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus Hacko. David Campbell. And those were the filmmakers from the films Marcus, The Big Kitty, High Score, and Anna. All wonderful conversations. I loved talking to uh, to the actor from Marcus. It's sort of his voice. Every time I hear that gr- deep, gravelly voice, I'm like, yes, Gravitas has arrived into the building. Um, anyway, so go check out their films on the Paris International Film Festival. The, the festival is running from the 4th to the 14th of February. Also, don't forget to go and support Resonance FM uh, by donating a little bit of money to the fundraiser that is being run at fundraiser.resonance.fm 
We are going to be announcing over the next couple of weeks as well as support. We're going to be putting up some things for, you know, for auction. Some filmmakers have been very generous donating some of their uh, their merchandise and their giveaways for us to be able to put. We'll try and see if we can get the resonance auction up and running. We'll chuck that on there as well as some stuff from Shoot the Breeze and from uh, maybe the idiot on the writer's block might have something as well to drop in there that you can auction, that you can pick up from the auction. Uh, but just go check them out. Go help help out Resonance FM at fundraiser.resonance.fm. This has been Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in and listening to us. This is Marcus Ako saying, oh, sorry, this is, this is, I have been Marcus E. Ako. I'm still David Campbell. I keep, I always keep butchering that up, uh, saying thank you all very much for listening. And see you all, or we'll speak to you all next week. Bye. Bye. We, we honestly need to get a script. Yeah, we need to get a script. <laughs>